0: We've been doing a series called, Will the J- Real Jesus Please Stand Up? And we're in week three of it. I don't know if you remember, two weeks ago we talked about the real Jesus is one who gives us an unshakable inheritance. And then last week we talked about Jesus' majesty and how the real Jesus is the one who is the central figure in our life. He is the king of kings. Well, now we're going to be looking about on a different aspect of Jesus' Uh, as we look at this passage in Colossians 1, 21 through 23. That can be found in your bulletin, Colossians 1, 21 through 23. This is what Paul says to the Colossians. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you wholly in his sight without blemish and free from accusation if you continue in your faith established and firm not moved from the hope held out in the gospel this is the gospel that you have heard and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven and of which I Paul have become a servant the word of the Lord well March 10 2011 started out as a normal day for the citizens of Japan They got up, went to work, worrying about their normal everyday life. And then an earthquake, 8.9 on the Richter scale, occurred right off the coast of Japan, and disaster struck. I don't know if you've been following it, but it's just in particular with technology and the internet, the ability to witness firsthand the cataclysm that occurred in Japan. This tsunami was created, 30-foot wall of water that basically swept across Japan, across rice fields that engulfed entire towns and tossed cars and boats around like they were toy, toys in a bathtub. They, they still can't find four trains that have just disappeared off the face of the earth. They can't find them anywhere. And now we're discovering that these issues with these nuclear reactors, that Japan is in peril because these nuclear reactors have shut down. I was talking to Ken earlier today, and he said that there were over 160 aftershocks that have repeatedly going on. In fact, they may still be going on in Japan as people who have been traumatized are experiencing the effects again and again and again. Now, if you had asked the people of Japan that morning when they woke up, were they going to experience this type of cataclysm, they would have looked at you with a blank stare. And yet, there it is. You know, I think this, this, this uh, disaster really hits home with us because when we hear about things like this, we think of third world and poor countries, you know, Haiti, Nicaragua. But, you know, it was only a couple of weeks ago that this happened in New Zealand in Christchurch and now in Japan. It shows that no one is invulnerable from life's uncertainties. What do we do when our lives are turned upside down? How do we deal with the problem when the earthquake hits you and it hits me? Maybe you've experienced an earthquake in your life lately, maybe in the past, something like 7.4 on the Richter scale, something huge that comes in and that creates a cataclysm in our life, a lost child or a lost family member some sort of explosion in your marriage that you didn't see coming and all of a sudden, boom, there it is and you feel the tremors. Maybe a financial crisis in your life that has just come on and like a nuclear reactor, it's just threatening to explode. How do we deal with life when our life, when what's upside becomes down and what's down becomes flipped up? Maybe you're experiencing these minor tremors in your life. You haven't experienced the earthquake, but you feel these subtle shocks, subterranean, if you will, just a comment with a boss that makes you think twice. Maybe a recent visit to the doctor, and there's this cloud on the x-ray, and they want to do more tests. How do we deal with the problem when earthquakes come in our life? It's easy for us to feel shell-shocked or uneasy. The reality of life is that life is unstable, isn't it? We often live with this facade of life and then life hits us and we realize that we're not as invulnerable as we once hoped we were. So how do we look to the future with confidence and not fear? How do we build an earthquake-proof life? See, I believe that what we're looking for in life is a firm foundation. Something that we can stand upon so when the earthquakes come, not if, we're able to have a place where we can live with confidence and strength because we know that the feet underneath us is secure. Where can we find such a place? The reality is, you can't find a place like that because the only place that we can find that has that is not a place at all, it's a person. Jesus Christ is the only sure foundation upon which we can stand and stand with confidence. God in Jesus Christ has given us this sure foundation, but we must stand on it. How do we do so? I wanna look at three points in this sermon. Number one, what is the cause of a shaky foundation? We've gotta do a little analysis on our life. What creates shaky foundations in life? Number two, I wanna look at why Christ is the only sure foundation that we can find. And then number three, I want to look at how we stand on this sure foundation in Christ. So let's look at this first point, the cause of a shaky foundation. When Aaron Ralston woke up in Canyonlands, Utah, several years ago, he was excited about the day. It was beautiful, it was sunny. He was in Canyonlands and he was an amateur mountaineer. And he was excited about going canyoneering in the canyons of Canyonlands. And so Aaron set out with a little bit of water and a knife and his rappelling gear, and he was heading to Blue John Canyon. Blue John was known because it was this crevasse that had these series of boulders that would start from the top and go down, and you could step on these boulders that were wedged in between and walk all the way down to the bottom of the canyon. Thousands of people had done it. But as Aaron was walking down and he reached back to steady himself on a boulder, that boulder dislodged. Aaron fell down twenty feet to the bottom of the canyon and this rock came down as well wedging itself between two sides of the canyon as well as on Aaron Ralston's arm. Aaron Ralston was trapped. You may have seen this, uh, heard about this uh, in the recent movie 127 Hours where uh, Ralston was played by James Franco who actually won, uh, excuse me, was nominated for an Academy Award. So Ralston is down in this canyon where nobody comes and he's faced with the reality, how do I get out of this situation? We recently, we saw the movie last night actually, and throughout the movie, Ralston is trying to figure out a way to get away from this boulder. He's chipping away at it. He's creating these series of levers using ropes to try to get this rock, which is about the size of a coffee table, up, but he can't, it it weighs too much. And he slowly becomes realizing that he is stuck. And it's only after five days, 120 some hours that he realizes the only way out of this is he's literally going to have to cut his arm off in order to pull away, to get away from this thing. See, Aaron thought he had a firm foundation as he was walking through Blue John Canyon. But he realized as he reached back for that rock that he didn't have a firm foundation at all. This passage tells us that disaster in the same way has struck mankind. See mankind once had a firm foundation as well. But something happened. Look at Colossians 1.21. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your mind because of your wicked behavior. So we see there's an enemy situation here between God and man. And yet if we play the tape all the way back to Genesis we see that that wasn't true at all. In fact in the beginning we see that man enjoyed a firm foundation. A firm friendship with God that God made man in his image and he called it very good and he blessed man and man would walk in the garden face to face seeing God. He had a firm foundation and yet something happened here that now man was enemies with God. What occurred? Man rebelled. Notice, once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your mind because of your evil behavior. That word... um, In your mind means, uh, in the Greek, in your intelligence. It denotes a willful, intelligent decision to become an enemy of God. And in fact, the Greek here shows that it's an ongoing state, that man made a conscious decision in his intelligence and mind to step away from the sure foundation given to him in God and to go his own ways. See, man did not want to live by God's ways. Man wanted to be his own. Uh, live by his own ways man did not want a God he wanted to become God and as soon as he stepped away from that firm foundation what did he do he fell the fall of man and what was the result of that alienation and separation once you were alienated from God see this word alienation is very interesting if you see it throughout the Bible it occurs all the time in the Old Testament what it means is that you were not part of the people of God you were shut out from the people of God you were alienated thus you had no standing with God you were not part of the community of God you did not experience the blessings of God the presence of God you were shut out and in the New Testament we see this concept uh, in the parables of Jesus where people who have lived who have been enemies of God come to see God And God says, away from me, I never knew you. It was Ali Wiesel, the Nobel Prize winner, the Jewish Nobel Prize winner, who said that the opposite of love is not hate. The opposite of love is indifference, apathy. And so we see the state of mankind fallen down in the canyon, trapped by his own sin, isolated from God, pinned it was man's attitudes and actions that created this situation and God's punishment was wrath and isolation. This word alienation in the Greek tense, it's a tense that we don't have in English. It means something that occurred in the past that has continuance into eternity. See, there's a big difference between the story of Aaron Ralston and us. The big difference is it was an accident that put Ralston in the situation that he was in but there was no accident for mankind. And in the same way, Ralston was able to get out, albeit by a gruesome way. But you see, there is no escape for the enemies of God. There's no way out. The reason I really work into this and talk about this is because ultimately life centers around only one thing. Where do I stand with God? See, we think that the boulders in our life, the issues and problems in our life that we deal with are things like our our car and our job and our relationships and am I going to have enough money in my investment account? Those are simply symptoms of a deeper problem, a deeper question. Because at the core, we are either trapped in that canyon or we're freed from it. And if we are trapped all of our life all the things that we do and preoccupy ourselves with are merely a bunch of levers that we're using, trying to find a way to get out of the, pred- uh, the predicament that we are in because of our situation. <laughs> so you may be a successful person in life. You may be doing well in your business. If you're a homemaker, maybe you're doing well with your family. You're well, you're socially connected. On the face of it, everything is going well for you. But the reality is if we look deeper, all of those things are simply a desperate attempt to get some sort of lever to lift this boulder of condemnation off of ourselves because the scripture tells us there is no way to get out of the canyon on our own power. I want us for just a little bit to examine ourselves and our lives. Because the reality is until I know where I stand as regards that canyon, all of my life will be a shaky foundation of uncertainty and fear and dread of what is to come. That is the situation that man finds himself. But there is hope, which leads me to my second point, that God has given us a sure foundation upon which to stand. Look at the passage. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your mind because of your evil behavior, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. Now this passage is speaking to the Colossians, to these believers who believed in Christ and our church gathered just like we were. Something has happened there was this alienation, these enemies of God, but now something new has happened, and that new thing is reconciliation. Listen to what he says. He has reconciled you to present you holy in his sight. That word holy in the Greek, hagios, means set apart. It means part of the people of God. It's the same word we use in English as saints. So once you were an enemy but now, and you had no standing before God, now you are part of the people of God, known by God, loved by God, and blessed by God. Once you were stained, once you were in condemnation, but now the scripture says that you're without blemish. There's no blemish upon you. A distinct reference to the Old Testament, and if you remember the sacrificial system where lambs would be offered before God, God had specific requirements, but the only animals that could come before God were those that were without blemish, that were without defect. Only those would be considered pleasing to God. And yet what this passage is saying is that the people who have trusted in Christ are without blemish. They can come into God's presence, and God is pleased with them. Once you were an enemy, but now you're free from accusation. See, once you were condemned, but now when you come before God, the great judge, God finds no fault with you. This hits uh, close to me because I confess I have a sin for you uh, to share with you. Your pastor has been arrested before. It's true. It's true. I have spent time in the big house before. Your pastor. Okay, I better qualify that. What exactly happened there? So It's somewhat of an embarrassing story. Back in the day, I used to be on staff with Young Life. And I was uh, you know, one of the uh, guys charged with entertainment you know, for some of these camps. So there was a camp in Warrenton, Virginia. Myself and my buddy said, you know, we've got to do the program for this camp. So we've got to do something big. So we came up with a brilliant idea. Hold up the bus. Or the buses. There are about 500 people coming. Hold up the bus. It's brilliant. you got to start out big, you know, scare the kids. It's great. It's for Christ. It'll be a ton of fun. <laughs> so we went all out with this thing, you know, ski mask, hunting knife. Great idea. It was a dark and foggy night. And so we, we, we hatch our plan. You know, bus pulls up. We run on the bus, you know, blah, 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 kidnap a kid. We had it all planned. None of the kids are buying it. None of the kids. They know this thing's a set up. So what do we say? We've got to move further away from the camp. Let's set up even further away. So lo and behold, me and my buddy up pulls, a van, up pulls a bus and then up pulls a van. I tell my bud, hey, you go get the bus. I'll go get the van. So he goes right up on the bus and I round the bus with my hunting knife to get to the van only to realize it's not a van. It's some country yokel in a truck. Aww. He looks at me. I look at him through my ski mask, (laughs) and he hits it in reverse and heads out of town, squealing as he goes. I go back to my buddy and I said, "Uh uh-oh, we better get closer to camp. So sure enough, here come the sirens. They are not happy with these two youth ministers. They cuff us, and they stuff us, and they take us down to the big house. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, all said, the, the magistrate was not very happy. So we were charged with a misdemeanor, class three. Okay, big problem here, okay? Had to go to court for this whole thing. Well, we managed to work it out with the judge, a little community service on the side, and the charges would be dropped. Okay, great. No charges ever, you know, lodged, nothing on my record per se, except one thing. About a year and a half ago, no, no, more than that, two and a half years ago, when we were going to adopt Maria. They wanted, obviously, all the records and everything, all the information. Now, there was no conviction, but here's an arrest on the books of a guy wielding a knife coming around. Okay, big problem. It's on the books. What can you do? Well, there was one thing you could do. You could appeal for an expungement. And it would require me to drive all the way to Warrington and to sit before a judge and to basically plead for mercy upon the judge. And so I remember making that drive, sitting powerless, sitting before the judge. And the judge looked at me, he looked at the situation, and he pulled out his stamp and he said, expunged. See, if you were to look at my record right now, for any indication of anything in the past, do you know what you would find? nothing. I am without blame. How can we become without blame in our own life? It says here that we have been reconciled by Christ's physical body. Christ's physical body is the stamp that says without blame. It is Christ who takes us from being trapped to being free. It's Christ who takes us from a shaky foundation to a sure one from being an enemy to experiencing reconciliation. See, there was a reason that Christ became flesh and blood. Because we were flesh and blood. Because Christ went down into the canyon where we were trapped. See, we were pinned by this rock, and Christ lifted it up, and he placed it on himself. In order to free us, Christ became trapped. In order for us to come out of the canyon, Christ went down into the tomb. In order for us to come out alive, Christ went down to death. See, it's by the greatest act of treason that mankind was trapped. So it is by the greatest act of obedience that man is freed by Jesus Christ. I waited patiently for the Lord and he inclined and heard my cry. He lifted me up out of the pit and the miry clay and he set my feet upon a rock. God has given us the surest of foundations in Jesus Christ. So where, my friend, do you stand? When the storm hits and the tsunami comes, where are your feet rooted? When you question, does God love me? When you have no confidence in your life, where do your feet stand? When you need strength to face this world, where do you find it? You may consider yourself a strong person. You've always prided yourself on your independence, on your can-do attitude. You know, I'm a rock, I'm an island. But the reality is that if you're still in that canyon, God is your enemy. And that is a fight that you're never going to win. But in Christ, we can have a firm foundation. That if we stand on Christ, we can experience the hope and the confidence that we can meet Anything in this life because Christ, if He is for us, who can be against us? And so we must make the decision to not try to free ourselves by our levers, but rather to trust in Jesus Christ, who is our hope. And He will lift us out of the canyon and put us on stable ground with God. God has given us the surest of foundations in Jesus Christ. Now we must stand on them. Well, how do we stand? on this firm foundation. The scriptures say in verse 22, last verse, but now he has reconciled you, this is my last point, by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight, without blemish and free from accusation if you continue in your faith established and firm, not moved from the hope held out in the gospel. See, we have a part to play in this and that part is to continue in your faith. The word in the Greek here literally means to remain on, to remain on, to continue remaining on in your faith. The scripture is saying you must stand on this foundation of Christ. You must stay grounded in him and in him alone. Well, the key word that we must deal with here is this word, if. If if you continue in your faith because that small word has big consequences what if we don't what if I make a mistake what if I step off of the rock do I fall back into the canyon is there no hope for me at all see that's the sort of foundation that I don't want that's just as shaky as the one before it the reality is the scriptures teach us if Christ is strong enough to put us on his foundation He's strong enough to keep us on His foundation. Notice it says, if you continue in your faith, your faith in who? In yourself? No, in Christ and what He has done. If you stay grounded in your hope, in your hope in what? Your ability? Your strength? Or rather in Christ who has the ability to stay firm to the end. See, this verse is saying, if you continue to trust Christ by setting your hope and faith on Him alone. See, there's not one place in the Bible that calls us to question our salvation. It consistently tells us that what God has done in Christ, He will do to the end. 1 Corinthians 1.8, for instance, He will keep you strong to the end so that you will be blameless on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God, who has called you into fellowship with His Son, Jesus Christ our Lord, is faithful There's nowhere where the Bible calls us to question our salvation, but the Bible calls us to examine our salvation, to look down at our feet. 2 Corinthians 13 puts it this way, Examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Do you not realize that Christ Jesus is in you unless, of course, you fail the test? And I trust that you will discover that you have not failed the test. See, this passage is saying what you believe must be reflected in the way that you live. Let me give you an example here. I have a chair. Let's say that I knew that the earthquake was coming and it was going to take all of this around here and I needed a firm place to stand and the only firm place was this chair. Okay, there's only pr- one problem. I can't get on it. But let's say that I was put on this chair, that I could stand up on this chair and I could Hey, I kind of like this position, by the way. I think I may start preaching from here. That I have this firm foundation that was right here. Now, could I get off this chair? I suppose I could. In fact, I'm gonna go ahead and get off it right now. Well wait a second. I don't want to get off this chair. This is the firm foundation upon well, no no no. I'll go ahead and I'll step off the chair. Here. No, 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 no. I'm gonna stay right here. Because this is the place that I want to be. This is the firm foundation for my life. See, the beautiful thing about Jesus Christ is with Jesus Christ, this is not a chair. This is a person. And what we're not talking about is a transaction. We're talking about a relationship. Where Christ has called me to himself and I in return love him by staying in him. See, if the Bible teaches the perseverance of the saints, it also teaches that it is the saints who persevere. Our continuance is a test of the reality of our heart. Not that we won't make mistakes, not that we won't, but where is our trust, where is our faith, where is our hope? If you have trusted Christ as your sure foundation, so you must stand upon it. Established and firmed, not moved. You know, what is a foundation for? I think a foundation, if you think of a foundation, there's a foundation underneath the earth. What's a foundation for? I think it's for three things. First one, I heard it building upon. Christ calls us to build our life upon his foundation. And many houses have many rooms. Think of all of your life. Here's a big one our job our job, our vocation, whether in the home or outside of the home. God is calling us to put Christ underneath our job so that our hope is not in our work. Our meaning is not in our work. Our meaning is in Christ. We will trust Him in the midst of our occupation. We will choose to trust Him by living by His words that He's given us. We will choose to reflect the priority of Christ in our life as we move into our job because we're, we're founded upon the rock and nothing else. How about this area to build upon, our body, our appearance. Christ af- tells us to put our body and our appearance in its proper perspective, not to trust in our body and in the way we look as the way as the world trusts, but rather to found it upon Christ to put it in its proper place to trust Christ with our bodies and our appearance, to live by His Spirit, to live by His Word, to build the way that I look, the way that I feel, the way that I act upon Christ and not on some shaky foundation. How about this one, our relationships? Christ calls us to build upon Him in our relationships, in our family, with our spouse, if we're dating someone else, to put Christ solidly in the center of that, to build our life upon that, to trust him, to pray, to rely on his spirit, to accept no other substitution. What we're looking for here is to build a life that's grounded on Christ because that's the only thing that ultimately will be able to stand. Well, foundations are for two other things. One is therefore rebuilding that which is shaky. See, the reality is we're all under renovation, aren't we? Everything is under renovation. There's shaky areas in our life. It was a Saturday morning where I had to dig out a fence post. One of my fence posts in my back that was holding up my fence had cracked. The foundation wasn't put in right, and as a result, the entire fence was sagging. And so I called my trusty 13-year-old son uh, to dig out this foundation. And he went in there and he dug and dug and he pulled out this big old thing of broken concrete and we reset that post in the right way, true the way it was supposed to be done. See, where's the shakiest area in your life right now? What needs to be dug out, reset? This is what this passage is about, continuing on, remaining on in all areas of our life until that foundation is set everywhere you go in the house of your person. Finally, I think a foundation is for a third thing, and that's resting upon something great when you get on a solid foundation isn't there you can sit and you can enjoy life while others are frantically struggling around with their levers trying to find a way to pry we've already found that secure foundation Jesus said come unto me all you who are weary laden and I will give you rest take my yoke upon you and learn from me for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. God has given us the surest of foundations in Jesus Christ. So now we must stand on it. Look down at your feet, Church of the Redeemer. What do you find? My hope is when people walk into this church and they look down at the feet of this church, they see a people who are solidly grounded on the rock of Jesus Christ. By his grace, may it be so. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you that though once we were alienated for God, from God and were enemies in our minds because of our behavior, that we have been reconciled to you by Christ's physical body through death so that when God looks at us, he sees us as holy, without blemish, free from accusation. And God, you call us to continue on, not move from this hope, Lord, I pray for those who are hearing this sermon. Lord, that we would become anew, encouraged and strengthened in our resolve to fix our feet firmly upon the rock of Jesus Christ, which is the only sure place that we can stand. That we would build our lives on Christ, that we would rebuild our lives on Christ, and finally, that we would rest on Christ. All of this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.